Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues, as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, Are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to, Ju to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we heard them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, What does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, They have had too much wine. Lord God, we are grateful for your word. We are grateful for this picture of the church in Acts. May this be more than a reminder of who we are, but may we actually believe and be open to a Pentecost moment in our own lives. To know that the, the, the church we see in this passage is the church we are this morning. That gathered around your name, your spirit is present and empowering us to be the people we were created to be. Not only in this moment, but out in the world the rest of our weeks. God, give us the faith to believe and claim this promise. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, friends, welcome to Pentecost Sunday. Back in olden times, however many months ago that was, in January or whatever, when we were planning out the year, we had big plans for today. We were going to hype this bad boy up to put it right up there with Christmas and, and Holy Week. Because we feel like Pentecost is a big deal. It is a shaper and reminder of who we are as the church. And we wanted to celebrate it. This is our, our birthday. It's going to be great. But now, so many weeks into internet church, the, the wind has kind of gotten out of our sails. It's, it's hard to, to say, this is incredible, this is big, while each of us are individually watching or participating in this worship service in our own homes. And it got all the more uh, depressing and, and just a little less uh, exciting when I saw this study that the Barna Group came out with uh, just this week. And it was, it was based on a survey that they did at the end of April, where they reached out to, to churchgoers, to, to people who regularly attended church pre-pandemic. These are like the cream of the crop, the people connected to a local church and committed to that place. 
And what the Barna Group found was that 48%, nearly half of those previously regular attendees have not watched any church online in the last four weeks. Not, not just, you know, hey, we started out super excited about this format and we've kind of tailed off to like once a month. Zero, zero percent. They're not even checking out the, the preacher down the street who's better than their own. Uh, they're not watching anybody. Zero. The internet church, it is, it's just not cutting it. Which, on the one hand, doesn't surprise me, because I, I feel a lot of that too. It takes a good bit of discipline to, to gather on Sunday morning. Good bit of faith. So it's not surprising on one hand, but on the other hand, it, it is. It really is, because the internet church, it, is, it offers so many of the things that we normally look for and other things. It, it's, it's convenient. It's on demand. It can be, it's efficient. We don't have to go anywhere. We can even fast forward through things we don't, we're not that interested in. It, it cuts out the awkwardness of, of coming to church and meeting new people or talking to people about hard things. And yet, it, so this thing is, it's all uh, the things that we maybe have always wanted in church or didn't like about church, and yet now that we have it, it's, it's like eating dessert for every meal. It started out kind of good, but now it is just not satisfying. And it makes me wonder why. Why is that the case? Well, I believe that Pentecost... And the picture of Pentecost in our passage this morning helps us to understand that why. It gives us an answer. Because right from the beginning, if there is one theme, one thesis for what it means to be the church, and it is clear in this passage, I believe it is that Pentecost declares the church is about you. You know, a mighty wind comes into that room and, and tongues of fire, the Spirit of the living God, it, it rests on individual people. When you gather as the church, it is about you. And yet at the same time, church is always for others. It is about you, it empowers you, it gives you purpose, but that purpose is always to be sent out and proclaim the good news, to serve and love your neighbor in the world. As Dietrich Bonhoeffer writes, the church is the church only when it exists for others. Only when the church is not dominating, but helping and serving the church must tell men and women of every calling what it means to live for Christ, to exist for others. And I think this is what we're missing. This is what Internet Church does not encourage us toward. Last Sunday, uh, we had Charlotte Marie and, and Jonathan Sturtz over for outdoor, socially distanced church. 
feel like I can only invite people over for church if I'm not preaching. I was grateful for Miriam's powerful word. But it's a little awkward to say, hey, you want to come sit by me and watch me? And so we sat there, and it was a lovely time of worship. Great to just be with some other people. But afterwards, Jonathan and I were grieving and lamenting not being able to gather as a whole community. And Sturt said, uh, you know, in scriptures, it says it's where two or three are gathered. That's where the Lord's going to be. And I was like, I know. I really, I am tracking with you. I totally agree. That is what we're missing. But then all of a sudden, Charlotte Marie uh, piped up and said, Jonathan, you've been watching the services with me every week. There's two of us there. And Jonathan and I were both like, no, that doesn't count. Doesn't, spouses, it's not the same thing. You know, we're one flesh. That counts as one person and, and whatever. But what later on upon reflection, what Charlotte Marie convicted me of was that when I gather with Amelia and when I gather with just looking at the TV, it is so easy to not have a mindset looking to serve her, to love her, to be there so I can learn to be about her. It's just so easy for the whole thing just to be about me and for me. The problem is it's really hard to be focused on others when you're just watching a service. We are, we are programmed for that sort of thing to be our time and for us. But friends, we are only the church when God's grace gives us the faith to be focused on others. And I believe this is a gift. In, in John's Gospel, he has his own little Pentecost story, and it happens in, in chapter 20. It's after Jesus has resurrected uh, on Easter morning. And the scene opens with the disciples. And they're in an upper room, and they are scared. They're overwhelmed, anxious, don't know what to do next. And it says that they have the door locked because they fear the religious leaders are going to come and get them next. And all of a sudden, Jesus appears in that room, even though the door is locked. And he declares, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, Jesus breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. What I think we see in that story is that this outward turn, this realization that we have been given a purpose and been empowered to care about others, to love them, it's not just a duty. It is a gift. It is the very thing that takes us from being focused on ourselves and anxious and overwhelmed and unsure of what to do. And it gives us life. It's what gets us out of our anxiety and allows us to live as we were intended to. That's what the Spirit does, and that is what the church is about. You know, it's so interesting. In the, in, when the church was first being formed in the Roman Empire, 
There were plenty of religions that abstractly looked identical to Christianity. Religions with specific teachings that that promised some sort of salvation. And therefore, there were words for groups of people that gathered with this in mind and with this purpose. And there were even words in Scripture, like, like synagogue. And so, within this culture, they, people knew what those groups were, and they had, they had language for them. But what is so interesting is that the church refused to call itself or describe itself by those words. Because those groups were always private. It was a private religion. You could come and gather and believe and gain salvation, but it did not affect the outside world. And that is simply not what the church believed. And so throughout the New Testament, the church is always referred to as an ecclesia, a people called out, a people who have been empowered to bring a new reality into the world by loving and proclaiming the good news to others. Gathering around Jesus is what shapes us to love one another and and the world. And it's the very thing we believe will transform this place so that the kingdom of God will reign. Friends, this is who we are. This is what you are a part of. At Kairos, in our church, many things have changed over the years. We've gone through a lot of transitions. But one thing that has never changed since the very beginning is our mission statement has been that we are a people who encourage one another daily in the way of Jesus. We are turned outward by God's grace. We find our purpose and we find life in the ways that we care about, love others, and invite them into this new reality. This is what we have always been about. This is where we have experienced that God's way is the way of life. Of course, we also know, because we have lived this, that it is not always easy. It's not always clear. There are difficult moments in being the church. It's true of Acts, and it's true of Kairos. Certainly true in this world. I'm sure many of you have heard by now about George Floyd, the African-American man who was killed by Minnesota police this week. While people pleaded for his life, a police officer kneeled on his windpipe for eight minutes. It was just another glimpse of racism and injustice that pervades our country. And we see news events like this, especially with all the other news that's going on, and it is easy to get overwhelmed, to be defensive, confused, curious, dismissive, 
But think about the, those are legitimate thoughts and reactions, but think about them. Overwhelmed, defensive, confused, curious, dismissive. Does that not sound like the people who are visiting Jerusalem in our passage? The foreigners who are unsure of what is happening as the Spirit is unleashed? You know, if there is any context where white Christians like myself are the foreigners wondering what the ruckus the Spirit is causing is all about, I believe it would be in matters of race. For white followers of Jesus, an act of racism is our most consistent Pentecost moment. Because if the work of the Spirit at Pentecost is incompatible with anything, it is racism in any form. The Holy Spirit simply does not allow for that kind of hatred. And we don't even need to, to venture beyond the book of Acts to see how that is true. Seemingly, every follower of Jesus takes this journey in one way or another. Even Peter, even the one who preaches the first sermon coming out of our passage here, it is only in Acts 10 after a meal with a Gentile named Cornelius that Peter proclaims, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. And it's the same with Paul. The two pillars of our faith, Peter and Paul. And for Paul, before his conversion, what Paul hated about followers of Jesus was that it brought Jews and Gentiles together. For a Pharisee like him, that was unacceptable. And yet through the work of the Spirit, through being able to be invited into the church by God's grace, the Gentiles are who he ends up serving and loving. By the time he writes Roman, he is in lockstep with Peter, saying, it is clear God shows no favoritism. This is what the Spirit does. As followers of Jesus, this is why we are riled up so often when we, we see things in conflict with what the Spirit does. Because by God's grace, the Holy Spirit in our lives, it overcomes divides. It reigns over systems of sin. And friends, I'll say it again. The Spirit is with us. It rests upon you. And it is because I believe that is true that I can boldly say, most of us are beneficiaries of racism. Many of us struggle, whether we want to or not, we struggle with a subtle racist mindset. It is because of the Spirit, uh, that I believe that the Spirit is with us, that I can assert that the police officer 
was unjust. That there are systematic things in place that benefit me and oppress others. And it's the same reason that when Peter gives a sermon immediately following our passage, that he can tell people that God has made the man you crucified Lord and Messiah. And both of us, Peter and myself this morning, both of us can be bold in naming these sins and it can literally be a part of proclaiming the good news because as the church, we believe a new reality has been born. I can say these things without hatred towards any individual, but I can actually say them with sincere love to that police officer and to you and to anyone else because our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the powers and the principalities of this dark world. In the end, I believe calling out the old reality is good news because there is not a multitude of choices before us. This is not a nuanced thing. There is the kingdom of racism and there is the kingdom of God. And thanks to the work of Jesus, we don't have to be enslaved by the first one. It's good news to be able to name old creation because we have been given the gift of new creation. And so if you are not turned off and riled up, if you're interested in hearing more, the question that we have is what shall we do? This is what those who stick around ask Peter after he shares the good news that has both judgment and grace. What shall we do? Well, Peter replies, repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off. For all whom the Lord our God will call. What do we do? in the face of injustice and the realization that we are participating in injustice. We repent. We believe we are forgiven. We gather as the church around that new reality of grace. Believing we have been baptized into a place where we are not enslaved by the powers and principalities, believing that when we gather as the church, it is to love the Lord like we are learning to love one another. That we are the church here precisely so we can act in the same way out there. In the face of our enemy, in the face of persecution, in the face of our neighbor and our co-worker, 
we figure out what it means and how it is life-giving and how we are empowered to love one another together so we can confidently do it in the world. To trust that the Spirit of the living God will empower us on that mission, will be with us on that mission. And that beyond our wildest dreams, the Spirit will work through us and the kingdom of God will flourish and the kingdoms of this world, the injustice, will fall apart. Friends, this is what it means to be the church. It is to believe the good news. In the face of our sin, it is to believe we are forgiven and to accept God's invitation into kingdom living, into new creation. Friends, I am tired of living my faith life behind locked doors because of what I believe. I'm tired of being fearful and pretending I just need to come in here and get a little solace for myself. I want to believe in the God of Pentecost. I want to believe I have no skill to offer, no wisdom to give in the face of injustice, and yet I will show up because I believe the Spirit is with me. And I want that for you. That's the kind of church I want to be because that's the only church there is. Thanks be to God. Amen.